you can't do any harm. You know, it's better to do CPR for somebody who doesn't need it and hope that they tell you stop than it is to stand back and do nothing for someone who does need it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing podcast. My name is Fergal Fox and today we're talking about community saving lives in the form of community first responders and CPR training. So just before we start, I'd like to thank you for listening to our podcast and ask that if you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email to healthandwellbeing.communications at hse.e. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you can share the podcast with a colleague or a friend, it would really help us spread the word. Okay, so today's guest is Ger O'Dee, who's Community Engagement Manager with the National Ambulance Service. You're very welcome, Ger. Thanks for having us, Fergal. So, Ger, can you tell us about your role, Community Engagement Manager? What's, what's, what are you tasked to do? Yeah, so I'm the National Community Engagement Manager, so I manage the Community Engagement Team for the National Ambulance Service for Ireland. We're a team of seven. At the moment, I have three Community Engagement Officers, three Business Support staff, and there's three new community engagement officers about to join us. So we'll have one for each of the new regional health authority areas that allow us to further develop the National Ambulance Service community engagement strategy for Ireland. So that community engagement strategy, why are you trying to engage the community, I guess? So I suppose we've we've come to, to learn that the ambulance service can't be everywhere all of the time. The geographical spread of Ireland you know, there's often delayed response times due to having to drive long distances to get to a patient. And I think communities out there are very willing to help themselves, support themselves. So we want to help them to build extra resilience in their communities to be able to save lives and be able to treat, you know, a, a patient until the ambulance service does arrive at the scene. So we're, we're calling this episode Community Saving Lives because it is literally what it says in the tin. And the point of contact for the community is that, you know, a cardiac arrest event. That's that's a very, it's usually very sudden. It's, it's you know, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah, it's a huge deal. And to quote an English uh, cardiologist by the name of Dr. Doug Chamberlain, he was one of the first doctors to put a defibrillator into an ambulance to deal with cardiac arrest in the community setting. And he deems that cardiac arrest is a community problem. And that's really because... I suppose it's a member of your community that if they do not survive, they're not at church on a Sunday. They're not at the local GA game. They're not, you know, socializing in that community, not seen in the shop anymore. So I suppose in a cardiac arrest situation, the first five minutes are absolutely critical that when someone suffers the cardiac arrest, that we do CPR, that we get hands on the chest and at the next available opportunity, get a defibrillator on the chest. And the idea of community saving lives is that we train and, and support members of the public and members of different agencies to respond either ahead of or alongside the ambulance service to the call and to try and implement the chain of survival as early as possible and do get those hands on the chest and do get that shock delivered if it's, if it's needed. Yeah, I, I, my own experience, like having done the, the CPR training and, and, I think twice now at this stage to the GA club, but haven't seen somebody kind of collapse at, you know, you mentioned mass there uh, at mass. And it was like, you know, it was really traumatic to see somebody that, you know, you know, just another person in your neighborhood, but like to see them fall down and, and then having, you know, the, the people on hand there that had the skills. Like I, I wasn't, I didn't attend to her, but like it is, it can be shocking. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a big shock when it does happen to someone you know, or even to witness something like yeah. that happening. But to have, you know, the training in the back of your head to enable you to be able to help is what's important. And unfortunately, there has been, you know, a, a numerous calls I would have attended over the years myself, where you do a, arrive on a scene maybe six or seven minutes after the 99 call has been made, and that person is lying on the ground in cardiac arrest and nobody has been doing CPR. And, you know, valuable minutes are lost. And for every minute that goes by, the chance of survival drop between 7 to 10%. So if you do the maths on that, you know, once you go over the five minutes, you're really going over the good chance. Yeah, and the concept is fairly simple. You know, I was surprised in terms of, you know, the compressions when you're, when you're been taught how to do the compressions, how, how kind of hard on you need to do them. But I suppose the concept of like the heart has stopped and you need to keep pumping the blood. Yeah, and I mean, effectively, when somebody's in cardiac arrest, they're unresponsive and their heart is not pumping the way it should or yeah. may not be pumping at all. And that person is effectively dead. And, uh, you know, people had this fear for years. What if I do more harm? You can't do any harm. You know, it's better to do CPR for somebody who doesn't need it and hope that they tell you stop than it is to stand back and do nothing for someone who does need it. And I think, you know, a lot of edu- public education has taken place. There's a lot more awareness around the need for CPR. And in Ireland, like at the moment now, we're at 84% of our own hospital cardiac arrests that are recorded have had some element of bystander CPR. And that's absolutely fantastic, you know, to see the people now are willing to step up and, and help that person. So through growing awareness, and I think the, the, the awareness around AEDs, has grown, uh, you know, very significantly in the last couple of years. So what you're saying is that that increase in percentage of bystander CPR is is kind of showing that more people have the training and more people have the confidence to get involved when they're needed the most. Yeah, and again, it comes back to an old fear. You know, yeah. what if I do more harm by using the defibrillator because I'm going to be effectively delivering an energy charge to this person. But again, through public awareness and education and even in transition year in school, the Irish Heart Foundation had a, have a transition year CPR, CPR for, for schools. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And like, you know, they're getting it young and it's, it is increasing the awareness that this machine, it's a specific piece of kit designed to assess the heart rhythm. It will not shock somebody who doesn't need to be shocked. So that fear is starting to go now and more and more people are more willing to go get that defibrillator and put it on someone's chest and then the machine takes over. It really is. The training gives you a lot of confidence in that as well. Like, you know, having, you know, just as you said there, they can't do any harm, that, that the, there's a lot of intelligence in that little machine already. Yeah, and, and again, yeah, as you said, the, the training gives massive confidence. And not only that, when you ring 99, the ambulance call taker will stay on the line with you and will explain exactly what to do. So even if it's 12 months since you did your course, or in fact, if you haven't done a course at all at all, they'll be able to guide you over the phone on where to place your hands, how hard to press, the tempo to press. And, you know, they'll stay on the line until the ambulance arrives. I, I think the videos are great for giving that reminders thing. You know what I mean? Like you've done the training, it could be two or three years ago. If somebody, you know, sat you down and asked you to write out, how are you going to do this? Or you're faced in a sudden shocking situation. But those those videos are great reminders about the basics, you know, and it comes back to you very quickly then when you've done the, you know, with the, the training 
invites everybody to literally, you know, shake the shoulders and go through the whole process, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely does. And, you know, whereas, as you said, if, if someone asks you to write it down, you probably won't remember it. But in the situation, most likely you will. And even if it's slightly wrong, it's better than nothing at all. But we do find that people come back to us and say that their training kicked in. They remembered where to place their hands. They remembered where to place the defibrillator pads. And they remembered to sing Baby Shark in their head, you know, to get the right tempo. That's the tempo, yeah, yeah. It was staying alive with the Bee Gees, I think. We were, we were playing at our training. But it's all about the, the rhythm, isn't it? It is. Ra- yeah. Rate, rhythm and depth. It's, it's extremely important that, you know, we do pump the chest, you know, around 100 times a minute. It's really important that we do push down hard enough in order to impact on the heart. And it's equally as important to leave your hands come all the way up without taking them off the chest. So it allows the heart to refill for the next pump. And the goal of it all is to keep the blood circulating around the body to the vital organs, in particular the brain, because what we want to happen is that we'll arrive on scene, if there's not a defibrillator already being used, that we would use a defibrillator to try and correct the heart rhythm. And knowing that someone has done CPR for the last five or six minutes while they're waiting for that to happen means that their outcome will most likely be better if they were to survive because they haven't suffered a hypoxic brain injury as a result of, of lack of oxygen. And we find that people will go home to their families yeah. as opposed to yeah. you know, potentially end up in, in a care facility because now they, you know, they don't have the cognitive ability to, to mind themselves. Yeah. So that's why it's so important that people just get their hands on the chest as soon as possible. Can I ask you the difference between a cardiac arrest and a heart attack? Because I, I think a lot of people even use those terms interchangeably. Yeah, it's one of the most common misconceptions out there, Fergal. So a cardiac arrest is an electrical problem where the electrical activity in the heart malfunctions, which prevents the muscle from beating effectively. The idea then is to bring an AED to the, to the person and deliver a shock. That shock, you know, stuns the heart and it ho- we hope then that the heart will regain its normal beat. We further support that then with CPR. To, to help it along. There may be times where we will give numerous shocks or there may be no shocks at all, depending on what the machine will pick up on, on as the heart rhythm. Whereas a heart attack, to put it in simple terms, it's a plumbing problem. It's a blockage in one of the coronary arteries, causes pain in the chest, and that person can actually go into cardiac arrest, but that's the main difference between the two. Your, your heart attack patient is generally sitting up you know, in some sort of chest pain or discomfort, whereas your cardiac arrest patient is on the floor, okay, is, is not breathing and is effectively, you know, dead. So, you know, without providing treatment and care for both types of patients, you know, the chance of survival can be, can be small, you know, can be low. It's really important that they get the care they need, they get any medication they need, and they get to the, to the A&E department. As timely as possible. So in terms of your role and, and the, the, you know, we, we want more community first responders. But can you explain how these kind of community first responder schemes work? Because a lot of our listeners might like to be involved in one of these schemes. Yeah, absolutely. So our community first responders, there are 252 live groups on our system at the moment. And they range from anything from four people to 40 people. In, in a group, depending yeah. on the size of an area. They're all trained to cardiac first response level for community. And 
the way it works then is that once a cardiac arrest call is made for where they're living and it meets the criteria for a CFR dispatch, our computer system will automatically send them a text message. So there's no human element other than the person making the call and the person taking the call. So it's completely automated. They receive the text to their phone, gives them the address, tells them what's wrong, and they respond to the call. So what we find is that in a lot of areas, particularly rural Ireland, it is so important that these groups are responding out you know, ahead of the ambulance and being able to give that level so of So that care. community, we want that community first responder to be in every rural area that it can be possibly needed. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not just, I suppose, in rural areas. We, okay. If I was to have my way, I would have one in every community around Ireland. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, as I mentioned earlier, the ambulance can't be on every corner, street corner. There is always going to be a travel time to it. And that first five minutes are so important. And there are no emergency medical services in the world, really, that can meet a five minute response time target. So, you know, having these these people out there and they are your butcher, your librarian, your teacher, your mechanic. They're also, you know, the local GP who might be part of the scheme, an off-duty firefighter, member of Angarda Siakana, a member of voluntary agency. There's, you know, a multidisciplinary membership in, in the CFR network nationally. And they all bring, you know, a particular set of skills that are able to treat this patient until the arrival of the ambulance service. So these community first responder schemes, how many, again, did you say you have? So at the moment, we have 252 community first responder schemes and, around and, Ireland. And, and you want to see more of them? Oh, we want to see it grow. We want it yeah. to, to continue to grow and to be able to eventually say that we have a response for all of Ireland. Yeah, and, and so the, the title of this episode is Community Saving Lives, and, and, and that's the focus. Having a community scheme is one of the best ways you can do it and build up your skills by bringing local people together to support other local people. That's yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, they provide a response in the community, but they also provide community training, community support. And, you know, I can give you a little story about one later where the whole thing came together, which was in a part of Cork. And what happened down there was the local CFR scheme trained a local pharmacy how to do CPR. Yeah. Uh, the pharmacy installed a public access defib in the village. A gentleman went to buy his morning paper, collapsed in the shop next to the pharmacy. The pharmacy staff who were trained by the local CFRs went in and treated the patient until the CFRs arrived with the defib that the pharmacy had donated. Okay. And then the rest of it kicked in where we had off-duty staff response, we had a doctor response, we had uh, obviously the ambulance service response. And thankfully, that gentleman, you know, was able to come back and thank everybody involved afterwards. Again, when they say it's a community problem, yeah. he was the groundskeeper or is still the groundskeeper for the local GA club, well-known character in the village. And he's still a well-known character in the yes, village. Yeah. And it's when you bring all that together and you look at the chain of survival, everything that could have went right leading up to the event with the defibrillator and the training and then during the event with the operational side of the response that was sent to him, you know, the fruits of that. Yeah. You know, you can't... Can't put a price on that. Yeah, you can't put a price on it. And the feeling that people get when someone they actively save comes up to shake their hands and say, thanks, that I don't think there's anything in the world like it, you know, that would give a feeling like that, you know? Yeah. I wasn't familiar with that training, the community piece, that the, the CFR schemes do. That's very important then because they're literally capacity building 
out into the community so that anybody can play a role or a crucial role as you were describing there in that incident? Yeah, they're pinnacle to our training. There are 300 volunteer instructors around the country linked to the, the ambulance service. And how many of these out-of-hospital cardiac arrests happen on an annual basis? That's, you know. Yeah, so from the 2022 out-of-hospital cardiac arrest registry report, we can tell that there were 2,802 out-of-hospital cardiac arrests, with 69% of those happening in the home. Really? So, you know, when you think of that, you know, it's and think of, will I do some CPR training? Well, you know, looking at those statistics, chances are, if somebody in your family or friend circle were to suffer a cardiac arrest, it could potentially, you know, be in, in the home, in your home or their home. And having that training means now you're able to help them. I suppose, again, to go back on the bystander CPR, you know, in the last 10 years, it's gone from 60% to 84%. We've won the highest rates of bystander CPR in the world. Really? Yeah. And so, I mean, Ireland... I suppose, you know, the fear has gone now around doing CPR. Yeah. The fear has gone around using a defibrillator. People are stepping up and they're just willing to help, you know, and, you know, that is making a huge difference. You know, we've had in in, in 2022, we have 28 more people who have survived cardiac arrest than the year before who are now going back out to their, to their families. Yeah. The, the the video on the, the CFR website, you know, I was trying to research, make sure I, I know a bit before this episode. Um, I know we're, we work together on the out of hospital cardiac arrest strategy, but that video where you have the, the, the mother talking about and she's been videoed in the home. I was kind of watching this video and I thought, why did, why did they make this video in the home? And then all of a sudden her family rushes in and she says that, you know, that she benefited from from somebody doing CPR on her. Just such a powerful message to to bring it home, as you said. This, you know, when somebody survives, there's no you can't put a cost on that. No, you can't put a cost on it. And I suppose that particular video was was funded by the Outer Hospital Cardiac Arrest Strategy. It highlights how CFRs operate, and then it does switch to that hair raising video. You know, Emma is a young mother with young a young family. She had just fed her baby at the time, collapsed at home into a cardiac arrest you know the people at home started cpr with an off-duty paramedic who was nearby that you know literally ran through fields to get to the house because they could see it see the house across the way and then the ambulance service crews arrived as well and you know thankfully to be able to meet emma and her family you know in person and know that this is a mother a sister a daughter I know she's still walking around as a result of, you know, people doing CPR and the response from the ambulance service. You can't put a price on it. We did present that video to a senior management team and, you know, there really wasn't a dry eye in the house. You know, there was people with goosebumps, hair standing up. It's really impactful. And, you know, I can, I can guess now that everybody listening wants to, to yeah, know what we're talking about, but we can signpost them to it, you know. So we'll put that link to this website in our podcast information. I'd like to encourage all our listeners to check out becomeacfr.e. That website is, is a key signpost for what we're talking about today. So coming back to your role in community engagement, so you're literally trying to support the infrastructure for these schemes. So give me an example of how you kind of get the message out to communities about how they can be to come a CFR member or start up a CFR scheme? Yeah, so, I mean, we use our social media channels, you know, the National Ambulance Service, 
Twitter and Facebook, they're very powerful tools in, you know, in encouraging people to join. We do a lot of media as well, such as, you know, radio interviews. And, you know, we try and tap into video media as well when we can. But word of mouth, you know, is another great, a great tool for us, you know, where people meet in the pub or people meet at a match and they discuss, you know, that they're a first responder and then people ask how to get involved. But I suppose the unfortunate side of it is that it's normally, it normally takes a tragedy in a community to realise that they could have done something to actually save this person if they had the training and they were part of a scheme and then they reach out to us. But what we're trying to do is to get people to be proactive as opposed to reactive and already have the infrastructure set up you know, in their communities to deal with such an incident. Using the website becomeacfr.e is absolutely a one-stop shop now for anybody who is thinking of becoming a community first responder, be it that they want to join an existing scheme or they want to set up a new one. All the information is there all of the resources there that they'll need, all the guidance. And it doesn't matter who they are. It can be, as I said, be the, a librarian, it can be a homemaker, it can be the local doctor or anybody at all. And I suppose to reach out, you know, to the 100,000 staff in, in the HSE as well to join us. We do have a dedicated CFR scheme set up to allow members of the HSE staff to join. It's a national scheme. And it just means that they don't have to join a, a, a local community group, particularly if there isn't one. Yeah. But we'll still give them the full support to be able to respond in their community and hope then that they might look towards setting up a full CFR scheme. Yeah, so that's great. So you're inviting members of the public, but you're also saying to HSE, you know, even if there's not that, that um, CFR scheme in your neighbourhood, you can be a part of that national. Um, and, and what would they need to do to do that then? So again, they can look at the become, website. Become a CFR.ie. Become a CFR.ie. Or they can simply just email CFRHSE.ie and one of the business support staff will pick up on that and get back to them with all the relevant details. So I would encourage it, you know, to all the listenership, regardless, public HSE, any agency at all, to at least even touch base with us and discover what's involved because it is really rewarding to be able to provide the service in your community. Yeah, and it's no load to carry once you do that 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 piece of training. You must have a, a big army of people providing this training then. So what kind of like agencies are supporting this kind of training movement? Because we're, you're constantly training, retraining and supporting people around these skills, aren't you? Yeah, so it was always a very big undertaking for yeah. us because it was the community engagement officers went out and did the training. But as the, the network started to grow, it was becoming unsustainable. We, we couldn't get to everybody in a timely fashion. So what we what we have now is a network of 300 volunteer instructors, some attached to CFR schemes, some not, but do support their community. And they're all associated then with the Ambulance Service Training Site through the Irish Heart Foundation and the Pre-Hospital Emergency Care Council. So there's a, a strong level of governance as well around the training that we do, albeit very basic training, but essential training. There is, you know, a fantastic level of support out there in the community from our instructors and from the various agencies that we're linked with. One of the things that I mentioned earlier is that the increase in defibrillators, they seem to be like loads of community events trying to kind of fundraise to buy these things. And I suppose it's great to have them. And I, there's definitely been an increase in my view, but like, what's your take on that? 
Yeah, so there's been a massive increase in the purchase of defibrillators yeah. in Ireland. We we estimate around 10,000 defibs to be out there in the community or private settings. Unfortunately, we only have 3,500 of them registered with the ambulance service. Now, what does it mean to register the ambulance service? Well, it means that if a 99 call is made for a cardiac arrest, the ambulance call taker will be able to direct you to your nearest defibrillator. If the cabinet is, is locked, we'll be able to give you the access code for the cabinet. Right. So it just means that these resources are there, but need to be tapped into. You're absolutely right in that defibrillators are popping up, you know, all over the country in communities and the front of businesses. But unfortunately, they're not registered with us. And I suppose it would be awful to think that you, you know, fundraised or purchased a defibrillator and put it in the community and it wasn't used for cardiac arrest nearby because it's not registered and the caller just simply didn't know about it. Oh, so, so, so like if an incident happens, if the ambulance knows about it, yeah, I suppose I was presuming that the, the people with those skills would know where the AD is, but like it's, that's not always clear. So, the, but the ambulance have the, the network. If you register your AD or one in your community with the ambulance service, they can tell any call taker, this is where the defibrillator closest to you is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the, lo- the people living in the community will know that the defibrillator is there, but it's for the people who are passing by, yeah. you know, it could be a delivery driver, yeah. you know, who's who's willing to use it. That person doesn't know where that defibrillator is. If they're, if it's registered with the ambulance service, we will direct them to it during the line of line call. And again, increasing the chances of survival for the person who's in cardiac arrest. So these defibrillators, they're popping up in every town and built up area. And and is there a message around the the maintenance uh, of these things machines? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's grand putting them there, yeah. but there is you know a shelf life on batteries and pads, and there's also the chance that it may have been used and put back. So you know, for communities, they should treat the defibrillator as their own. Don't assume that the person who put it there, you know, is always going to be available to check it. People are busy. People forget. So if you're if there's a defibrillator in your community and you're walking past, why not look at it, open it up, take it out, have a look, be familiar with it because in times of a crisis is not the time to be trying to figure something out. Now they're all absolutely simplistic to use. You turn them on, they tell you what to do, but if the pads or batteries are out, the machine may not work. So I think it would be important for every member of every community to take responsibility for the defib, for that AED and to go check it out and to keep an eye on it. And, you know, unfortunately, there are cases of vandalism and theft. They're very, very small. It's it's less than 10, you know, we hear about every year. But at the same time, if people are keeping an eye on it and it's known that people are keeping an eye on it, chances are, you know, that it'll be untouched. Yeah, yeah, no, very good. And um, you you mentioned to me before about how AEDs are provided to some children that are at increased risk of uh, cardiac arrest. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, so one of the work streams out of the Outer Hospital Cardiac Arrest Strategy for Ireland was to support children with life-threatening cardiac conditions by giving them a home AED. So we're linked in with uh, Children's Hospital Ireland. Yeah. And when a cardiologist refers one of those children to us what we do is we aim to deliver the defibrillator to them within 24 hours now be it that it's delivered directly to the hospital or to the family home we'll do everything in our power to get it to them within 24 hours and then further to that we we will offer training to their family extended family and friends schools sports clubs 
anybody at all that they would like us to train that's connected to this child, we will absolutely do it. So you're creating a kind of like support system around the child in their community and their family. That's great. Yeah, it's it's absolutely you know a phenomenal success. Yeah, it's welcomed by all of the families as you can imagine. And I suppose to mention Bridget Sinnott, she's you know Irish Heart Foundation. Yes, Bridget, yeah, she's great. Like Bridget has been advocating for this for years. Okay, and to use her own words and not to incriminate her, she begged, borrowed, and stole defibs. You know, for these children, but now to have a system in place where we can you know get the defib to them within twenty four hours and provide training, it's adding, you know, an extra layer of um, of security to the child's condition. Yeah. And it's also very, very reassuring for families. To I'm, I'm reminded of what you said before about that community engagement, like uh, that you said, sometimes it's after a tragedy. But like if you hear of a child in your, either your community that has this risk, you know, it kind of, it, it just allows for that kind of prevention piece to come in and you're, you're, you're sowing the seed of all these skills with a very wide network of people. Absolutely. And it's a very, it's a proactive re- approach to it, you know, and I suppose the other side of it is that what, what we do as well is we link them in to the local community first responder group if there's one in their area and they then support the family as well and bring them along to extra training. And it's also then, you know, it's flagged with them that if I get a call for this address and it's, you know, a young person, the chances are it is this child and chances are that there's going to be good CPR performed because the family are trained and that there's a defibrillator there as well. So it's adding a huge amount of resilience into the community for children like that, you know. One of the new initiatives uh, you were telling me about, Joe, and, I, you know, we, we spoke about the CFR schemes in terms of the, you know, giving us access and support in the rural parts of Ireland. But the islands, you mentioned there's work going on there to get to as rural as we can get. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's important to mention the rural areas, but also just, you know, the inner cities do have a CFR schemes as well and hugely successful. But the islands, you know, that's an austere environment. And the islands people, they know they're on their own, you know, for a prolonged period of time waiting for help. But they're a very resilient community. You know, the the local shopkeeper is, is the ferry driver and the uh, CFR as well. And what we've done is we've started to work with them to bring their skill level to a higher level. So they've they've done the community first responder piece, but now we're bringing them up to the level of emergency first responder, which is a five-day course. And it just means that they can treat a broader scope of incidents that happen on islands. So it could range from anything from your cardiac arrest to a cut on a leg to a fall from a ladder. So, and and then any medical calls, well, like dealing with somebody who has a diabetic incident or a seizure. And it just means that we're helping them to build further medical resilience on the islands until either the lifeboat or the helicopter can get to them. And we find that it's a huge success. It's welcomed by the islands people. And, you know, we're just going to continue to grow that and to work with them and give them as much support as we can. Okay, that sounds really good. Ger, I'd really like to thank you for coming in and sharing all this information and uh, give the signpost again there to... Become a CFR.ie. Yeah. (laughs) Become a CFR.ie for all the listeners. Please check out that website. And if you've had CPR training or um, would like to become a community first responder, all the supports and information are there. And I'd like to thank you for listening to another episode of the HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing podcast. Mm -hmm.